0: Hi and welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast focused on Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today we've got a show about whether a Bitcoiner should use, CoinJoin and associated privacy techniques, but first a word for the sponsors of the show. Go to Kraken.com and sign up with Kraken, one of the world's leading Bitcoin exchanges, In an industry where many come and go, Kraken are one of the longest standing and they're offering some of the best liquidity available in the industry. They've got high trading volume and low fees with no minimum or hidden fees. They also offer 24-7 support and they've got the Kraken Pro mobile app, which you can find in the App Store. Kraken Pro delivers all the security and features you love about the Kraken Exchange in a beautiful mobile-first design for advanced Bitcoin trading on the go. Kraken also offer an OTC desk and they recently acquired Circle Trades OTC desk. This is for customers seeking a more private personalized service for large block trades. Kraken also offer margin trading up to 5 times long and short and also futures up to 50 times leverage. To learn more and sign up, go to kraken.com. Next up, Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital are a Bitcoin financial services company empowering customers with financial freedom and control. All their products are built on the foundation of multi-sig, so they've got this approach to collaborative custody, giving the user control of the private keys as well as the benefit of a financial partner. Unchained offer 2 of 3 vaults. These are a great option if you think about how best to secure your Bitcoin, and then if you need to access liquidity, if you want to get a loan, but without selling your Bitcoin, Unchained offer this option where you can put up Bitcoin as collateral all bitcoin is stored on chain dedicated multi sig it's never rehypothecated and also i'm really impressed with unchained you've got to check out some of the content they're making such as parker lewis's gradually then suddenly series and also check out caravan and hermit some other open source contributions they've made unchained capital are releasing great content they're providing great services i think you'll enjoy partnering with them go and sign up at unchained-capital.com check out GiveBitcoin.io, the easiest and safest way to get your friends and family into Bitcoin. Take it from me, I've given Bitcoin to people before and they lost it. They didn't know what they were receiving. So that's why I saw huge value in GiveBitcoin. You can buy Bitcoin for your friends and family with just their email address. And that gift is locked with a regulated US custodian for one year, during which GiveBitcoin delivers 12 monthly lessons to your recipient to speed them through the learning curve of becoming a hodler. GiveBitcoin has input from many well-known Bitcoiners, including SafeDean, Matt Adele, Citizen Bitcoin, and others. And Jan Pritzker has just recently become the chief technology officer as well. I'm also an advisor with a small equity stake, assisting with the curriculum also. Keep an eye out for more exciting announcements coming. The aim is to really have a positive impact on Bitcoin adoption and understanding, so I'm excited to have them as a sponsor. The website is givebitcoin.io. Have you backed up your Bitcoin seed? Look into Cypher Safe. They're producing the Cipher Wheel product, and so if you've got a Bitcoin bip39 seed, such as one generated by a Trezor, a Ledger, or a cold card, you want to make sure it's backed up in a way that's fireproof, waterproof, rustproof, pet-proof, and tamper-evident. The Cipher Wheel is a new product. It's compact. It comes in a wheel shape. It masks the words of your seed unless you open a tamper evidence seal. So make sure your seat is backed up and make sure that you or your loved ones have access to your bitcoins if an accident occurs. The product is available for pre-order so go to the website cyphersafe.io. The link is in the show notes. So first episode for the new year. I hope you all had a great New Year's Eve. I certainly did. So today we're talking about coin joins. Should a bitcoiner use coin join? What are the risks of doing CoinJoin? What are the risks of not doing CoinJoin? How should we achieve this? What are some of the ways that Bitcoiners are currently falling down from a privacy perspective? So I'm pretty sure most, if not all, my listeners know very well who Matt O'Dell is, but just for those of you who don't, he's a co-host of Tales from the Crypt and Rabbit Hole Recap, which is a fantastic podcast. I listen to every episode and Matt's known for his focus on Bitcoin and privacy. And he also first appeared on this podcast on episode 70. So here's the interview. Matt, welcome back to the show. What's up, Stefan? Always happy to be here. So there's been a lot of discussion recently about the topic of coin joining and Bitcoin privacy. So I know you've had some strong comments on that, and I think I'm pretty much aligned with your view on this as well. Uh, But I wanted to just explore that for a little bit just to... Explore some of the different ideas, both for and against the idea of doing coin joining. Uh, But let's set the scene a little bit. So what was uh, this recent incident in relation to Binance Singapore that seems to have set this off
1: recently? Well, I mean, I think what triggered the most recent conversation before Binance Singapore was Trace Mayer's comments. Uh, Basically, uh, I mean, he was on your show. He was on Peter's show uh he was on our show but he didn't actually talk about coinjoin with marty um and basically he was dissuading people from uh from using coinjoin in the first place right right and i think i'm
0: not i'm not entirely clear on whether he was saying that for other people as well or whether he was saying that just in a personal capacity as in he was saying he did not personally want to coinjoin uh but the impression certainly was oh you wouldn't want to mix with a terrorist or whatever so That was the implication, Uh, but I wonder, what's your view there? Because one analogy I was thinking is, uh, and unfortunately, I didn't think of this at the time, but uh, the analogy of VPNs, right? Like you are in, obviously, it's not technically accurate, but in some sense, you are using the anonymity set of a VPN when you use that service. So there's potentially some parallel there. What's your view?
1: Yeah, I mean, especially shared VPNs, right, where you're uh, sharing the IP address of other users. Um, I mean, we've seen Binance uh, do shotgun KYC on people just because their IP was flagged. But, you know, hundreds of people use that IP address because it's a shared VPN service. Um, you also see the analogy with Tor. You know, you also see the analogy with Bitcoin, right? So the we've heard this these statements come from no corners plenty of times where they say i would never use bitcoin because uh terrorists and north koreans use it right so to me it's it's it becomes uh it's like where do you draw the line uh and i i've it's hard for me to level that that level of the field where where you think it's it's completely uh fine to use bitcoin Because I mean, I think, I think all three of us agree with that, you know, Trace agrees with that as well, Uh, because these, these, these products, these projects um, to protect the average user, they have to protect all users. There's no, there's no way to delineate what's a good user and a bad user. Cause as soon as you're able to delineate what's a good user and a bad user, then you have centralization, you have censorship there. And it's, it's, going to be abused eventually we see that happening uh with twitter right now where they're stuck in the middle where they're trying to police speech and it's such a blurry line how do you how do you actually decide who is a good user and who's a bad user
0: yeah that's tricky and it brings up this whole question of whether there is such a thing as taint as well right so my my thought on that is more like taint is something that is externally observed and placed onto it rather than something that inherently exists at the protocol level right like quick example right my bitcoin core node does not have any concept of blacklists or bad dirty coins my btc pay server does not have any concept of taint right it just if it's a valid bitcoin it will accept it as payment right
1: but what's your view there well, I mean, I guess the the issue here is the, the reason why this is, is dangerous logic to go down is because if this was ever enforced at scale, to to be a Bitcoin user, you would basically, you'd have to, you know, you'd have to do the Mike Hearn style blacklist in your core node. You'd have to have blacklists on your BTC pay. Uh, you would you'd have to be basically doing chain analysis for every payment you receive. Otherwise, you know, God forbid you receive a Bitcoin with so-called taint on it. And then on t- on top of that, I mean, I don't I don't know if you go down the taint rabbit hole, right? Are we going to include the the minor fees? Like, what happens if you know the plus token guys did a transaction and they paid a minor fee, and then so th- that recently mined block reward is that is that tainted? Does that have taint on it?
0: Yeah, and there are different ways to approach and tackle that question as well, even from a uh, the pro tainter view. Uh, the other component is also not just the taint aspect, but I think from a, again, not saying I agree with any of this government regulation, but recognizing that it applies to many companies today, part of it now is obviously KYC and some of these tools like KYT. So maybe it's not necessarily identifying taint, but just identifying who is the counterparty. And so maybe that is the implication or that's the real limitation that's being uh, enforced on all bitcoin exchanges or large bitcoin companies because once you just get big enough then they you know the government and regulators and so on try to slam the you know the book they throw the book at you so to speak
1: what's kyt is that know your transaction
0: yeah yeah so there are tools like that do that to try and assess that but i i don't have a very strong knowledge of the specifics of that tool. Uh, but my understanding from some of the blog posts and other articles I've seen from you know these companies, so like Chainalysis, Elliptic, uh, CypherTrace, Crystal and others, is that really from a Bitcoin point of view, it looks like the main things are address reuse and the common input ownership heuristic and then i guess potentially the other thing is the kyc part giving them a good starting point right because that and i think thinking back to my earlier episode with ergo where he was pointing out well maybe it's not so much that we have a bitcoin privacy problem it's more that we have a kyc problem right it's that because exchanges have so much of a view view into uh who has what coins and then if they end up again, I don't know the terms of the deal that they do with the chain spy companies, but it may well involve information sharing so that the chain spy companies can then say, oh, okay, I know that Matt O'Dell bought X, Y, and Z bitcoins at this date and blah, blah, blah. Um, But yeah, what's your view on, uh, where are we falling down right now from a privacy perspective? Would you agree that those are the big privacy no-nos, right? Address reuse, common input, ownership, heuristic, and then basically KYC services?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I I think... I think they definitely have information sharing agreements and they don't, they will. So we should just assume that like that's the de facto standard, um, you know, basically databases of known addresses uh, connected to known individuals. And it just greatly reduces the uh, anonymity set across the board. They're able to add all these additional connections to it. Um, you know, little things like uh, people don't think about it, but if you're receiving a payment from someone and they pay you directly from their Coinbase wallet, for instance, you know, the Coinbase, the exchange, uh, then then all of a sudden that transaction to you is linked directly to that person. And then whoever Coinbase is working with could have a connection there. You know, KYC is a, a, a tricky little fucker. Like, I don't know uh, how we're going to avoid that on the on ramps we have when when we do end up as as more people adopt bitcoin as more people earn bitcoin and there's an actual circular economy that the, that effect could get reduced and the reliance on on ramps and off ramps gets reduced um as far as taint goes to me i i feel like i would i would much prefer to receive coins that 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 went through coinjoin that don't have a discernible history to them i think if if you properly use some of these privacy tools, and in the future as these privacy tools get better, because right now there's a lot of nuance to it, it's very easy to screw it up. I I feel like the coins that have the least taint will be the ones that have that have gone through CoinJoin that use PayJoin, right? Like that that to me seems like less taint than knowing the last 400 transactions that have gone gone through that UTXO. Right. Uh, I guess it can get complicated though, because even in the
0: case of CoinJoin, uh, it still matters about how much volume is being driven through that CoinJoin. So, for example, uh, I think even Laurent from the Samurai Wallet and OXT.me team, he was pointing out that if Plus Token, for example, had tried to move that volume through any of the you know well-known uh, non-custodial mixes, it would have basically no one, they wouldn't have had the volume of other people mixing to support them moving, you know, 100,000 or 200,000 BTC through the mixer. And so it could be identifiable through other means unless there were enough other people doing coin joins or potentially if they moved it through very slowly, like they just did a little piece at a time, right? Okay, here's 100 BTC, I'll move that through 100 BTC and move that through over time.
1: Yeah, I mean, volume is, you know, liquidity is basically negligible. That's, you know, one of the reasons why I've been trying to advocate for people to use it more. And one of the reasons why I think it's important for people who use KYC exchanges to use it, because it's, it adds liquidity that is, you know, considered legal liquidity by like the Western world, you know, all these compliant uh, nations. You know, one of the big issues here with this public ledger is timing, timing analysis, right? So if you're trying to even with even if the liquidity is better, like if you're, if, you know, you you move a bunch of coins through CoinJoin and then you don't combine the inputs afterwards, you know, you practice good coin control, but you move them all to like cold storage uh, as individual UTXOs and you do it like around the same time every day in like, in, in groups, you know, even though you're not combining them, um, that timing analysis can give you away, especially if it's a, you know, someone who's like dedicated to looking for a specific person, right? So like a lot of these tools, I think, help more for like a mass surveillance type of situation, right? Like where they're just trying to gobble up lots of data. But when you start trying to target individuals and you have a starting point or you have a couple addresses that you're watching, you can mix that with timing analysis and you can get a really good idea. Yeah, so it might be useful.
0: That's a good point. I agree with you. And I think it might be useful then to distinguish between... Let's call it basic privacy techniques, and then somebody who is trying to who has who needs who has a higher need for advanced privacy. And so, in the same way that somewhat we wouldn't expect you know IT general controls to catch every possible uh, hacker or every possible vulnerability, it's just meant to be a way to have like a basic level. Here's kind of minimum standards uh, because, as you say, uh, there is a difference between uh, somebody who's trying to do mass dragnet surveillance versus a targeted attacker, right? Because if someone's coming after you specifically, then they'll spend a lot more to come after you. Uh but I guess ultimately comes down to what is the cost of attack
1: and what's the cost of defense here, right? Yeah, exactly. You want to make the cost of the cost of attack uh way more expensive, right? You want to make it so that it's way more difficult for them to to pull off these attacks, way more expensive so that they can't do it on a mass scale. I mean, and then we, we also have all these other issues, right? Which is why we're trying to get people to run full nodes, um, not use hosted explorers. Uh, there's so many ways you can leak uh, private information with Bitcoin uh, that it's really a minefield out there. Yeah, and I think the tool set is not quite easy yet. It's getting there, though. Like
0: one tool I really I particularly like is the Ronin Dojo by Zelka. I know you guys uh, highlighted it on your show recently as well. But uh, I guess let's bring it back to what what happened in that specific example with Binance, though. So I think that was probably the first example where this individual had withdrawn from the exchange, and then it was the exchange was tracking what was happening after withdrawal, as opposed to tracking only what happened pre the deposit of Bitcoin into that exchange. And I think that was.
1: Something that most people were not aware of. Uh, what was your view on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that caught us by surprise because we were all watching for when CoinJoin deposit, you know, UTXOs with CoinJoin history uh, would get blocked at exchanges. But in this case, it was through withdrawals. And it was basically they noticed that his previous withdrawals were going into Wasabi and going through CoinJoin and Wasabi. And so then when you tried to do a future withdrawal, right, because they didn't they didn't let him process that withdrawal. So they technically didn't know exactly where it was going to go yet. They just based it on his previous withdrawal history. And they were like, we're not going to let you withdraw unless you answer all these questions. And he had already KYC too. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's, that's definitely an issue. It, it falls, it falls in the same uh, category, I think, in terms of them not accepting deposits. Right. Uh, especially if you're, you know, I guess not accepting deposits, in either way, they're they're holding funds hostage, right? Because if you send a deposit, they're not going to tell you that they're blocking the deposit till after they receive it, because Bitcoin's a push system. And with withdrawals, you know, they're going to lock your account um, under the suspicion that you're about to go through CoinJoin. Uh, I guess withdrawals, it could be a little bit messier uh, if you have a large amount of, of funds on that exchange at any given time, but if you're practicing good uh, you know Bitcoin practices and you're not keeping large amounts on the exchange, then it should just be whatever your your recent on-ramp purchase was you know before you swept it to your wallet. So in, in either case, at least the, the benefit there is that I don't think there's you don't have that much funds at risk, right? If you're doing it the right way, if you're not keeping a lot of money on exchanges, if you're not depositing large amounts at a single time, then you know that that one UTXO that gets frozen, um, while not ideal, isn't like the absolute end of the world. Yeah, true, true, uh, and it is also this question
0: around how it got detected. So my understanding here is that there was some debate here around exactly how that got flagged. Right? Was it flagged because of the proximity to the Wasabi fee address, and therefore the chains? An analysis or whatever type of trace or whatever tool was flagging it because it because that uh, that individual's previous withdrawals had a proximity to that address because they were part of you know the coin join transactions right it's a static fee address or was there some kind of heuristic done to identify equal output coin joins?
1: yeah i mean it was definitely it was definitely the fixed fee address i mean i'm like uh the way the email was sent to him um, where they list the fixed fee address and said there was a connection to it, um, I, I think you know ninety nine percent it was a very simple heuristic that they put in uh, to whatever their system was to flag connections to that fixed fee address. Now the Wasabi guys will say that the fixed fee address provides transparency um, into their volume numbers and and how much. Uh, you know, fees they're collecting, and that that is true. It is very easy to track that, um, but it also makes it super easy for these chain analysis companies to put it into their software. But at the same time, um, I think that's you know, I, I I've said to them, I've spoken to them. I'm like, you should probably just get rid of the fixed fee address. It's more trouble than it's worth. But really, you're just delaying delaying the inevitable. I I, I think Trace is right in that a lot of these exchanges will start blocking. Uh, transactions with CoinJoin history. Um, hopefully, they don't try and do it at scale where you have large amounts of exchanges doing it, right? Because if they start doing it at scale, then you're going to have, you know, it's it basically becomes a ban on self-custody altogether, right? Because how do you know without doing chain analysis that the payments you're receiving uh, to your BTC pay don't have a CoinJoin history in them? Uh, so, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, they should remove the fixed fee address. It just makes it way too simple for chain analysis. But these chain analysis guys could easily put in a heuristic that says, you know, wasabi coin joins, uh, flag wasabi coin joins. It's so obvious on chain, you, you clearly see the coin join. You clearly see a samurai whirlpool coin join. You know, you, you have five inputs, five outputs, all equal. Uh, it, it's pre- it's pretty obvious
0: right yeah so I guess that that's yeah I think and I think that also does impinge or impact the quality of the wasabi mix because it sort of lowers the entropy because there's always one going that way or what some input going towards that fee address but anyway that aside I think it also comes down to that question of how could it be uh how could detection be evaded hypothetically right like there is things like that idea of the samurai ricochet for example or just you could just manually bounce it through different addresses or split it up because if you wanted to still withdraw from the exchange without them knowing that you're doing CoinJoin, well then that's another thing you have to think about as well because now if you if if that starts to become a common practice then people would have to start thinking of ways to mask that behavior right
1: I mean, it, it it really comes down to how much the regula- you know regulators in given countries want to crack down on this stuff, right? Because it does get very blurry very quickly, right? Like, where where do you draw the line of uh, a coin join a UTXO having coin join history? If a UTXO goes through coin join once, like five years ago, and has four hundred transactions after that, is that still a coin with you know a UTXO with a coin join history? If it goes into lightning, comes out of lightning, um, you know what? Where is the? Where do you draw the line there? And I'm not sure if the the end goal there, if they decide to enforce it hard, is basically just a complete ban on self custody. And in that case, you know, I to me, it's it's the same reason why I Bitcoin. You know, fuck it. Like I, it's it's not a reasonable concern because to me, they could totally just say coin join is illegal, right? And if they say coin join is illegal, uh, and you try and withdraw from like, let's say cash app, and you withdraw from cash app, and you go through the five hops, and then it goes to coin join, are they gonna? Are they gonna, you know, block your account for that? And if they do, then they've essentially just completely banned self custody, because what happens if I pay someone, and then they go through a coin join?
0: Right, yeah. Uh, and I, I I mean, there's a couple of things there. So that might just push it more towards cash deals, right? People might actually have to just start doing, you know, BISC and uh hodl hodl or they're not in the US. But I think BISC is operative operating in the US. Uh it may end up pushing people more towards a the grey market view of Bitcoin, and and perhaps this is a good uh, topic to go into now because that's potentially what's at stake here. I think some have commented. I think TDev is one example. TDev from the Samurai team uh, commented that maybe this is really the tension, really that maybe we end up we end up with bifurcation, right? We got the white market compliant KYC Bitcoin view versus the grey market Bitcoin agorism kind of view. Do you? And I don't think that's like a novel thing. I think people were saying that even in 2017, uh, following the you know, SegWit2x and Bcash stuff. What's your view there? Do you think that, that that
1: is going to be a tension amongst Bitcoin users? I mean, I think that will always be a tension. I, I disagree with... I, I, I somehow am in the... I'm somehow stuck in the middle between the... As the samurai guys like to call them the compliance bros. Um, and like the the street money guys i i think both are good um I, you know i think uh, bitcoin is stronger because because people are investing in bitcoin and the price goes up so miners get paid more uh, and i think that supports the street money side i i go back to do you remember the old meme where you have uh, neo from the matrix and it's like uh when it when it comes time to sell your bitcoin you won't have to sell your bitcoin you'll be spending your bitcoin yeah classic classic meme <laughs> right so if you take self custody and you practice good privacy techniques it it won't i think the on ramp matters more like just getting on right like just getting into the system once you're in the system um especially in these like western democracies like are they going to go door to door um and take people's bitcoin from them like that'll be very expensive. We were talking about defensive versus, you know, the defensive versus offensive talk. Like the Bitcoin's a defensive technology. Like they'd have to go door to door and and basically take your take your keys from you, um, and that that'll be really hard to do from a Western democracy side. So I, I think it, it makes sense that that people that are trying to trade it on a daily basis or even in the short term, like a year or two years, might be worried that they're not going to be able to deposit in a KYC exchange. But I. I for me, that isn't a concern because that isn't my plan. Like I'm here for the long term, and I think when it comes time, like I'm, I won't be selling my Bitcoin. I'll be spending it, and then you know you're not even worrying about something like Bisc, which I think has its own uh, pitfalls um, that aren't really talked about that much. Because uh, if you're spending it, like it, let, let's say five years down the road, the scenario I like to say is you go to your convenience store and you go and you go and pay them in Lightning. And they're using BTC pay. I I don't think if all goes according to plan, they shouldn't know what your UTXOs are that funded that lightning payment. Right. So I think it becomes a moot point at that point. Right.
0: Or it's like a specially segregated portion of your UTXO. It's not your main stash, basically, right? Like you might have a main stash that you've got with your you know, proper security. And then you might spend a small amount out of that, run that through a coin join, fund your Lightning node. And then, you know, hopefully by then we've got those Lightning privacy enhancements, things like Schnorr signatures and so on, uh, that help that. And then basically your counterparty for that trade. The convenience store doesn't know what your main stash is. They just kind of only have maybe some idea of what is the balance in a specific lightning channel, but even then maybe not so clear.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the balances in the lightning channels like it does go hand in hand, but like at the end of the day it comes down to are are they going to be able to know what the UTXOs were that funded that payment, right? Because that's where the chain analysis comes in. And I think lightning on its own in its primitive state right now is already a huge, massive improvement. I mean, think about just three years ago, four years ago, people were putting fixed addresses along the internet. Um, you, you know, you, you find a fixed reused address, and it's connected to a person. And then all of a sudden, you have this huge insight into what uh, they're doing. And lightning, you know, they're not saving, you know, lightning by far isn't perfect right now. It's very early. Uh, but it, it it's a massive privacy improvement just because on-chain is is so easy to leak your privacy. Um, thing, little things, you know, like uh, every payment isn't recorded on-chain forever. You need more active surveillance to watch it. Uh, the fact that invoices aren't reused by default, you can't reuse invoices. So if you post an invoice on the internet, um, you're not leaking as much information as you're leaking when you post a fixed address. You know, little things like that uh make it a massive improvement and then hopefully we get all these other things that we want um you know things like multi-party uh you know cre- creating creating lightning channels with multi-parties where you know you you have that common input heuristic is broken because you know you're you're basically doing like a coin joint into uh into lightning little things like that i think will make you know huge step up improvements yeah. Uh,
0: are there any areas that you see or what what do you see that we need uh
1: in terms of lightning privacy? Well, lightning I mean, you know, I we need more nodes on Tor and we need more routing nodes uh that are that are not known actors that are run through Tor uh that aren't just broadcasting their IP uh all the time, which is basically what the majority of the top nodes are doing right now. Um, you know, not to be a Bitcoin futter uh, but we've heard this a lot of times from uh, like the Bcash crowd and and whatnot, uh, that lightning will be something that's dominated by like the bit refills of the world, right? Where you just have a couple large, big routing nodes. Um, so I think a big thing that a lot of people can do is, is to just run, you know, run a node with some decent liquidity through Tor. It doesn't have to be like some massive node, um, connect to some other, you know, other nodes that also, you know, respect privacy in that regard, and 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 we can have some some like good privacy focused liquidity there. Uh, I think that is a is a major one. Um, you know, just user friendly wallets in general that don't expose privacy. You know, like a lot of the wallets right now that are super easy friendly to use aren't very private. When you start talking about like network analysis, um, you know, I love Phoenix. I love Breeze they know all of your transactions. Uh, if they get compelled, they they can give that up, right? If, if they're taking logs, they'll have no choice. Uh, so, and the, let alone the custodial wallets that are being used by a ton of people, but even the non-custodial wallets, like the user-friendly non-custodial wallets are leaking a ton of information, uh, which is why, I mean, that wasn't even discussed until last two years. No one was talking about um, little things like running your your ledger and not using your own full node or running your Trezor and not using your own full node. Cause you're sending all your, all your UTXOs to their server. No one was even talking about that. Yeah. So
0: at least the game has changed a little bit and people are getting more aware about these things. So potentially there is something that can be done in terms of let's call it coin join campaigning, right? People are just saying, Hey, you should use these privacy tools. And I guess bringing it to, more on-chain privacy. I think that's another aspect of um, where people can start spending and paying with a coin join, right? So there's a few different things, right? So one is this idea of the like the Stonewall style, the algorithm that includes an extra input so that it's not clear that there's now there's multiple interpretations to that transaction, and another is obviously pay join, which is supported by both Join Market and uh, Samurai Wallet. It's called uh, Stowaway in their in the Scheme or in their product, uh, what's your view there around um, driving use of that? Will that change the game? Change the heuristic in terms of if enough people use Payjoin features?
1: Right. So Payjoin is uh, particularly awesome in terms of these uh, blacklisting discussions because it doesn't use uh, equal uh, equal outputs. Um, basically, with Payjoin, right, you're you're getting uh, an input from the receiver of the transaction. Uh, so the heuristics there get broken a bit. They also Samurai has Stonewall times too, where you like have a friend give you inputs that isn't the receiver of the payment, which is also a very interesting concept. I'm like pretty bullish on Samurai in general, just because I think for the average user, it, it's just way more convenient for them to to you know when they have this mobile mixing uh, that they're planning on releasing soon. It's way more. It's way easier for them to just install, you know, a, an app on their phone, click mix, and then when it comes time to spend, um, have have some integrated tools that are that are very useful for them to, you know, to use without like really knowing exactly what they're doing. Um, you know, I've always loved Join Market. I've been showing Join Market since it first came out. The whole idea of like the the maker-taker model is like the ultimate Bitcoin incentive that, that we all love, you know, where you, you have a financial incentive to provide CoinJoin liquidity. But the usability is just not there. Like We're not going to get the average user uh, to, to use it if they need to do like seven or eight steps in command line before they even get to a GUI. Um, and, and that's who we need if we want to get the liquidity, because otherwise you just end up having uh, a very small subset uh, using, those, using those transaction types. Now, as far as PayJoin goes, it gets really interesting, I think, uh, with BTC Pay, which is relatively new. Uh, like in the scheme of things, like that project launched like two years ago, or like the famous uh, Nicholas Dorier tweet was was like two and a half years ago, maybe. Um, Because merchants never really had an easy way to accept Bitcoin without a centralized provider. Uh, And now they have this relatively turnkey way to accept payments. And if they integrate PayJoin there, then every payment to a BTC Pay merchant could be a PayJoin. Uh, which I think would be, that would be pretty huge. Right. And let's talk through the
0: on-chain impact there, because when you do a pay join with somebody, the actual, uh, well, firstly, to an outside observer, they don't know that it is a pay join. So that's also, that's win number one, right? And then win number two is that the actual amount being transacted is masked. And so that's not clear. And I think the other big win, and I think I've seen Chris Belcher speak on this topic, is that, when you pay join with somebody to an outside observer, unless they have insight into, you know, unless there's information sharing, they don't really have a good way to trace transactions going forwards because now they either have to cluster you together or just treat that like a dead end.
1: Right. It's all about when you're doing chain analysis, it's all about assumptions and basically probabilities, right? They're 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 making a guess about where these UTXOs are going and if they change hands, right? Like for the longest time, what a lot of people said was um, if you were sending from a hosted wallet like Coinbase that did KYC and you wanted to do sports betting, you you just send to a different wallet of yours that was non-hosted and then you'd send to the betting site. And by doing that, it gives you an additional level of plausible deniability, right? You don't know if the exchange is going to Care about that extra level of plausible deniability, but as far as chain analysis is concerned, they don't know if you just paid Mr. Hoddle and then Mr. Hoddle went and and you know bet bet using that Bitcoin. They they don't know for sure. As soon as there's a single payment, um, ex- except for there's one heuristic that if you send all, uh, if there's if there's if there's no change in the transaction, then it's like very likely a self transfer. Um, yeah, so I I think breaking down those heuristics and making it so that they have to guess and that it's it's less likely, you know, their their probabilities go down in terms of, of who to you know where to follow the UTXOs is is obviously a huge benefit, but it still doesn't solve the the the, the trace concern, right? Because you know, he I someone from that, you know, camp would just say Uh, if if you're a BTC pay merchant, and you're doing pay join with your customers, then maybe you're just tainting your Bitcoin, right? Maybe you're uh, making your Bitcoin harder to spend at a KYC outlet in the future. Right, I see. Yeah. Yeah. And I think
0: on this whole topic of heuristics and so on, part of, I guess, what happens currently, so again, I don't have intimate detail of it, but I've heard you know stories and rough ideas is that some of these tools used by some of these larger you know bitcoin exchanges maybe even the large brokers and so on that they might pay for use of a certain tool and they need to quote unquote risk score their customer and then they might look at a certain incoming deposit and see oh okay that's got potentially higher risk because whatever maybe it was associated with some stolen exchange coins from years ago and therefore this customer might be higher risk and Blah blah blah. But that may potentially be the future with CoinJoin transactions. But I think if enough people start doing CoinJoin, it starts to break that, you know, that association that that chain spy tools could no longer yes. flag somebody as high risk pure, merely for the fact that they have CoinJoin history if enough people start doing it. What's your view there on that and whether that kind
1: of campaign could be driven? Absolutely. I mean, that's the biggest reason why I've been trying to push CoinJoin liquidity, even if you don't do it. You know, one of the things that stops a lot of people from doing CoinJoin that I've noticed, besides the fact that, you know, these concerns that Trace has said, which I've heard that concern many times, is the concern that they're a little bit overwhelmed if they they could do it correctly. Right. But we leak so much information and just the default way of using Bitcoin, the way most people are using Bitcoin that I think. You know, as long as you don't assume you have perfect privacy, uh, if you use CoinJoin, you're improving the situation both for yourself and for Bitcoiners, just because the default is so bad. So, yeah, I also I also tend to agree with that. That if we can get CoinJoin liquidity up to a certain point to an exchange, they might actually prefer receiving. You know, there there might be a a dirty area in between where. Things get like really nasty and a lot of transactions are getting blocked and deposits and withdrawals are getting blocked and you basically can't use them. Um, But in the in the long term, they might actually prefer receiving CoinJoin deposits because then all of a sudden that responsibility isn't on them. They don't have to, you know, they, they don't have the means to look at this huge history that that huge history of a UTXO when you deposit to an exchange is just a massive regulatory burden for them. If they don't see it, then it's almost it's almost better for them in that regard.
0: Right. And although we do have to consider, it's a cat and mouse game though. So let's hypothetically say, right, We a lot of people were driving CoinJoin campaigning and everyone starts doing CoinJoins. And yeah, we really do break that heuristic. And so exchanges can no longer safely flag someone merely for using CoinJoin. It may, I wonder whether that may still... You know, the compliance departments of those exchanges may still feel some level of, you know, anxiety that they're not doing enough, so to speak, and that they would then need to ask for other info on every customer. I don't know. What's your thought
1: there? I mean, I think what happens here is the end game becomes, if we go down this route successfully, the end game becomes to enforce at scale. They have to ban self-custody completely. And, I, you know, I think that's a fight that I'm willing to take. I think that's a fight that all Bitcoiners should be willing to take. And I think it falls under the same exact threat model as your government just banning Bitcoin altogether, right? They could ban CoinJoin, they could ban Bitcoin just as easily. I mean, we, we, see, we already see exchanges uh, like Circle and Robinhood that don't even give you the option. You can't deposit and withdraw. You just You just hold the IOU on their platform. And they don't even have to deal with any of that regulatory compliance uh issues and and in my mind i think in most bitcoiners minds that's not really bitcoin right because you have to trust this third party so you know i I don't think any if if the idea that people have is that this is going to be an easy process that governments aren't going to fight back um i would dismiss that wholeheartedly and i would say that the fight is beginning um it's actually been slower than I expected, but you should still expect that there's gonna be there's gonna be a fight here um and you have to decide what's important you have to decide if you really want control over your own money or if you're fine with you know basically just keeping it as an i o u just like gold is um on these centralized platforms
0: right and uh, I think Giacomo has also made a similar argument there around how KYC, I think he was talking about know your confiscation or something. But basically, the argument was if the government knows every Bitcoin holder, then theoretically it knows whose doors
1: to go and knock on, right? Exactly. I mean, that's why I disagree with Ergo in that regard, in terms of he said, like, once you KYC, you can never get out of that. Because I think that it's still a huge improvement if you use CoinJoin and run your own node, control your own keys after you go through KYC. Because at least now it's still so difficult to hold your own Bitcoin securely, right It's gotten significantly it's gotten significantly better, but if you practice good privacy techniques post kyc, at least it gives you a level of plausible deniability as years go by, right so if if they don't if they're able to actively know your balances. Uh, you know, that's the first step. We saw that uh, in America with Executive Order 6102 in the 30s, right before they confiscated everyone's gold. Uh, I mean, that was the confiscation order, but they knew where all the gold was. So that, that's how they were able to confiscate it. The gold they didn't know, you know, where it was like in a closet somewhere and, and the person bought it without KYC, uh, they weren't able to confiscate that gold. So the first step is to identify who owns what. Um, but like today, when we see uh, cold card vulnerabilities, bitbox vulnerabilities, treasure vulnerabilities. If you bought on a KYC exchange three years ago and you use CoinJoin properly and you run your own node and you practice good privacy hygiene, uh, they're not sure if you still have it, right? And and so then it comes down to the fact, like, how far does that government want to go? Um, and and with Western democracies, like, I don't think they're going to go that far. Like, I think especially as we get Bitcoin in more hands, like that would there'd be a lot of public outrage if they're going door to door, um, basically breaking kneecaps and threatening jail time to try and get people to admit to Bitcoin that they're not even sure if the person actually holds.
0: Right. Especially as you say, as time goes on. But perhaps there is also a value there in you know, so so we've got the big KYC exchanges and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh but there might also be a value in driving the use of non-KYC as an alternative, right? So if you've got family and friends, potentially if they have their own little informal network where they trade amongst themselves, as opposed to everyone going to KYC exchanges, then there's at least less
1: less Bitcoiners who have been quote-unquote bagged and tagged. Absolutely. And I mean, I think this improves over time as more there's more Bitcoin holders, so there's more people to participate in that circular economy. Um, an obvious... A uh, venue for receiving KYC-free Bitcoin is through mining. That's one of the reasons Proof-of-Work is so important, uh, besides countless other reasons. Um, another way is to you know, receive Bitcoin for goods and services, especially if you offer a discount because you want that KYC-free Bitcoin. So I think we'll see more of that, you know, specifically BTC Pay merchants accepting it. Um, as far as uh, you know, P2P KYC-free transactions with strangers, there's a lot of risk involved there. Like, first of all, we've seen in America, undercover agents, um, we've seen undercover agents participate in the transaction. So you don't know if they're an undercover agent and the whole thing's, you know, sting. being watched. And in that case, it could be even worse for you. Uh, because there's a, you know, an implication of, of guilt there, uh, just because you're trying to, you know, as far as these so called democracies care about that, you know, they, they think you're trying to end around the the regulations. And then the other issue is, you know, something with like bisque, like, I don't want to fud it, like, I love the product project, I like I want people to use it. Uh, but like, how do you know, like, you're just going to get like a random person is going to send a bank transfer into your account. Like, obviously, you have to use cash, because if you just accept bank transfers from random people, that can raise a whole ton of flags, like who do you who's paying you? So, and like, who are you paying? Like, are you, you know, I, I, who, who are you sending a bank transfer to, they see all the, that transaction. So, so, so cash is obviously king in terms of privacy. If you can do cash transfers that great, you know, you hope it's not an undercover agent, you keep it under $10,000 because that's when things start getting uh like extra dicey. But uh I, I think, in terms of like circular economy, I think you will see you know, more friends and family type situations, I think we'll see that across the board, not just with Bitcoin purchases, but also with, you know, like running your node or something like that, like where one person runs a node and and their friends and family connect to it as like a, you know, a trusted third party that they know and actually do trust. And I, I think this this whole idea of of earning Bitcoin for goods and services, like you're a convenience store um, and you you do offer a discount, like I think, that's like how the Bitcoin circular economy starts, uh, because otherwise, like why why would people spend Bitcoin if their dollar cost averaging in and they're speculating on the price going up unless there is like a substantial discount. So the the merchants should be offering discounts so they can get that KYC free Bitcoin. Great. Um, and here's a hypothetical for you, Matt.
0: If 100% of the demand for Bitcoin was all done on, you know, street deals, darknet markets, do you think the price would actually be higher than it is now?
1: No way, not in a million years. I, like, I strongly disagree uh, with that With that logic. What do you think? Do you think it would be higher?
0: Right now, no. But I think maybe longer term it could be. I mean, if, if enough people started just doing it that way, I don't know. Um, yeah, so I, I, let's start talking a little bit about um, action steps then for people. So what are some takeaways for the listeners in terms of things they can do what tools should they be thinking of um what are some you know steps that they can take
1: well i think you know the number one priority here should be running your own node and securing your keys right and, and like actually using your node for your keys right so you know whether that's electrum which is has its own issues with electrum server but stuff like my node and noddle and Raspod blitz and stuff are making it easier to run electrum servers uh so that's good. Um, because that's just like an obvious, you're just obviously like tons of information leak. Um, and then I think like people should be experimenting with CoinJoin. Uh, I, like I said, I think that as long as you don't have this assumption that it's perfectly private, uh, it's a net benefit just because the status quo is is so bad. And And I really do think that the next step will be, you know, stuff like Samurai that make it really easy. And then as far as payments and receiving payments and sending payments, like Lightning will be the way that people can do it in a slightly more private fashion that hopefully will scale up in time and, and become more private. Yeah.
0: And even in the case of taking uh, deposits, I wrote an article recently about why static address deposits are really bad. So don't use those. A lot of people use them for donations, even Bitcoiners, right? So it's sort of like surprising in some ways when once everyone... Like I could understand maybe like some streamer who's not really like a hardcore Bitcoiner, but they just put up an address to take donations. But there are people even like Bitcoiners, like we have to lead by example, right? So I think two better solutions I would suggest there is, one, if you have Samurai Wallet, use PayNims for donations, or two, set up a BTC Pay server and use that to take donations. I think that's one thing to combat this whole address reuse problem as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... I love Paynims. The biggest issue with Paynims is that the only way the the, the payer can pay you is if they have Samurai, uh, which means they have to not only have Samurai, but they have to have an Android phone, which greatly reduces the amount of people that could pay you. BTC Pay is obviously fantastic. I mean, I, I think people should also temper their expectations a little bit, right? Like if you look back two years, three years, everyone was reusing addresses. Now the default is HD wallets, right? Like we we didn't even... We've come we've come such a long way in such a short amount of time, I'd be really surprised if that improve if those improvements don't continue right yeah, no,
0: agreed agreed um and then I think the other thing is this idea of like even using samurai if you're using every for every spend you try to make it a stonewall, then that's another thing as well because when you make every spend a stonewall or better right stonewall stonewall x two or a stowaway then you're really starting to screw with the heuristic a bit. Now, right now, sure, the number of people using, you know, privacy tools is lower, obviously. Uh, but if that, start, if that number starts, if, you know, if we get number go up there, then that really does start to change uh, the heuristics and change the way people are able to spy on the blockchain.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of this relies on adoption, increasing, and continuing, uh, which I'm bullish on, which helps uh, in terms of my mental model. Um, and just usage increasing. And that's why education is important for these specific tools. I mean, like, how many people do we think are actually using um, samurai wasabi stonewall specifically and samurai. Um, And then I think, you know, also, they just like these individual project teams are they they need to iterate on their designs, right? Like, so I, for instance, I used a stonewall spend I've been, uh, you know, I practice what I what I preach and I I I've been using both Samurai Whirlpool and Wasabi, um, and I so so post Whirlpool right, uh, I, I was sending a transaction to myself to to practice uh Stonewall, and the way their algorithm works, like it included a ton of inputs, uh, I guess a ton of outputs as you know, there's technically no inputs, but they included a ton of outputs for the input side of the transaction, um, and. Like that is, uh, you know, in terms of coin control, right? Like that's combining a bunch of UTXOs to make the payment. So you do get that benefit from Stonewall that, that common input, uh, the common output uh, heuristic is uh, you, you don't really know uh, for, for sure. But you you are combining all those those UTXOs. So there's a lot of nuance there and the tools need to be iterated on and improved on because the end user, you know, a, a, like a... A Bitcoiner that's educated right now can use just basic coin control, but even for them, it's not that intuitive, right? It, like, I was using coin control on Electrum for the longest time. And they don't have like default labeling, right? One of the things Wasabi does great is it forces you to label. Um, Samurai doesn't have forced labels yet. Uh, Samurai's coin control is is the opposite. It's uh, instead of picking the UTXOs you spend, You pick which ones you mark as do not spend, and supposedly that's going to change with their new app. So we'll see. But like these tools need to iterate. You know, Wasabi has a select all button uh, that lets you select all the lets you select all the UTXOs at once uh, to include in a transaction. Like, why does that feature exist? That feature shouldn't exist. It's just uh, tricking users into using it um, and inadvertently linking a bunch of UTXOs post mix. Uh, so so these tools need to be iterated on, they need to fail, and then improve. Um, and that's just how it's going to go. It's going to be a slow and steady process. Uh, and as as we have liquidity, and as we have these tools, you know, improve, hopefully, uh, the situation will get better. I'm uh, cautiously optimistic.
0: Yeah, no, those that's are fair points. I think uh, there's still work to be done. But you know, that's, uh, that's the nature of it. Some of this stuff is just cutting edge. Uh, I know in the case of Samurai, I think they are looking at, um, yeah, as you said, including uh, labeling uh, and more direct coin control features on the app in the coming versions. Uh, And I think they are also working on like a new engine that picks UTXOs in a more kind of smart way so that you don't screw yourself over. Um, So the idea is um, if you when you do the TX0 that it won't, uh, you'll have that unmixed change, right? Like that little bit there. And that's the most toxic part, which you shouldn't ever mix together with other, you know, other pieces, uh, other, you know, unmixed changes, because then it links the mixes together, etc. And I think their new engine will actually try to intelligently um, hold those back or keep them segregated in what's called bad bank. So that's, again, these are things that are coming, but um, I think uh, we can be optimistic if people get uh, pointed towards the right tools. And so, for example, when I'm uh, trying to help onboard a beginner, I'll try to default them into the more private things, right? So I might try to, if if that person has an Android phone, well, then I'll get them set up on Samurai Wallet so that that way they're at least starting with a privacy tool in their hand already. And so there's not as much of a uh, difficulty around trying to get them to change from some other tool to using you know, a, a more privacy focused one.
1: Yeah, I mean, right now with Samurai Wallet, when you do the uh, the transaction zero, like the premix, you get that, as you said, you get that toxic change. And that toxic change is not automatically marked do not spend. So you have to go in and make sure you do not, you mark it as do not spend for future transactions. And also it's not automatically labeled. So if you don't go back and label it, you end up in a situation, you know, two years down the line where you're like, I don't even know what this toxic change thing is. You know, where is that UTXO from? And now it's worth like $100. Like, do I want to risk spending it? Or do does my privacy, you know, is worth $100? And you get into this, like, really dirty situation. Um, so little, little tweaks like that. I, I think at the end of the day, basically, what these privacy tools have to do is they have to, you know, do uh, at least a light chain analysis on yourself. Um, basically use the tools that that the people tracking us are using. Um, to, to help automate these processes uh, so that it's, it's much easier for the end user, but do it in a way that doesn't actually sacrifice uh, the individual user's privacy. So, you know, running your own node and, and running all, all that chain analysis locally um, would, would be key.
0: Yeah, right. I can see that, uh, you know, already it's becoming more common now to have your own block explorer, uh, but uh, potentially having your own chain analysis uh, might be uh, a bit more difficult because that requires more hardcore, you know, d- like spec up h- hardware and so on. But um, yeah, look, I think that's definitely the, hopefully that's the direction we can at least uh, go in. So I guess uh, to close it up then, make the case for the listeners. Why should they uh, participate in the CoinJoin campaign?
1: I mean, look, if you compare, if you compare, if you care about personal sovereignty, you know, if that's why you're in Bitcoin, then financial privacy is a key element of that. And the Bitcoin system as a whole is not as secure if individuals are doxing themselves left and right. So if you, I think that if users care about financial privacy, like there's this whole divide, this perceived divide between like the number go up crowd and the financial privacy crowd and i think that divide shouldn't exist because at the end of the day if individuals start protecting their financial privacy it will make it will help the number go up like i i think bitcoin becomes more valuable becomes more resilient and robust long term if individual users practice financial privacy because that is the single biggest vulnerability that bitcoin has today because if you look at the way like a government would come in and and try and control the system is it starts with the lack of financial privacy. They start, you know, tagging users, and then going after users and making examples out of them. And then if your question is, why is financial privacy in general important? It's because it's, it's, you can learn so much from a user from just their spending habits. And I look at the world today, and I look at all these people who are using all my peers that are using Venmo and PayPal and all these credit cards and all these centralized payment processors and they're basically exposing their whole lives not only to these companies but also to the governments that they're affiliated with and if you have like an authoritarian come in they're going to use that against you they're going to know you know they're going to know all your intimate spending habits and then just from the most innate view your boss shouldn't know where you spend your money if they're paying you in bitcoin and the merchant that you shop at shouldn't know what your salary is
0: Fantastic! I couldn't have said it any better. Um, I totally agree with you there, Matt. Uh, so, look, I think we'll we'll uh, we'll call that an episode. Uh, I think most of my listeners already know you very well, but just in case any of them don't, make sure you shout out now just uh, where they can find you online and where they can find, obviously, Tales from the Crypt and Rabbit Hole Recap.
1: Yeah, so I'm uh, at Matt Underdash O'Dell on Twitter, and uh, we're, we're Tales from the Crypt, so that's TFTC.io. Uh, we have podcasts and we have a newsletter. Yeah. I, I I love coming on the show with you, Stefan. I'm a huge fan of, of your show. I listen to every episode. Uh, I, I tend to think that we're all part of the same uh, like Bitcoin network um, where we're just like individual shows on the same channel. So uh, it's an honor to come on the show and it's just an honor to, to be doing this whole, you know, taking part in this whole process uh, alongside you.
0: Oh, of course, man. I'm a big fan of your work as well. I listen to every episode of yours. So uh, thank you again for joining me. Cheers, guys. Now, one small correction. I believe there were actually one or two other instances that were similar where an exchange flagged a user's withdrawals. It's just that this recent Binance one, Binance Singapore one, was the one that uh, more people knew about and it sort of blew up more. But anyway, hopefully, you are now interested to check out some more CoinJoin mixing tools and techniques. One I would suggest is Ronin Dojo, which is a user interface. Think of it like a scripted and easy overlay to run a Raspberry Pi Samurai Wallet Dojo and Whirlpool CLI. So just to clarify what that is, some people get a bit confused. Dojo is like you're running your own Samurai server. And what you can do is you can buy, say, a Raspberry Pi 4 and run your own little dojo server on that and then you can also run what's called whirlpool cli so think of that like a demon that just continually keeps the coins remixing and you can control that using whirlpool gui which is like a desktop application and then there's also mobile mixing coming and then what you would do is once you've set up the dojo you start with that and you'd set up the dojo and then you would get samurai wallet on your android phone and you would pair it with your dojo And then once you've set up the Whirlpool stuff, you can then configure it and control it from your laptop or your PC with Whirlpool GUI. And then in the background when you're away or when you're asleep, Whirlpool CLI is what keeps that tumbling. So hopefully that was useful for you. Remember, show notes and transcript, stefanlevera.com. If you've got any feedback, stefanlevera at pm.me. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the Citadels.